Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA? With more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get an extra 15% off by using promo code BILL at checkout. So please go to FastGrowingTrees.com. Use promo code BILL at checkout. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. going to get into a very depressing situation, corruption in the Department of Justice. And this is going to affect every American. So earlier this week, FBI Chief Christopher Wray gave an interview to Fox News. And then Attorney General Merrick Garland testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Both of those things are the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. We begin with a federal statute. Title 18, Section 1507 of the U.S. Code. It was enacted in 1950. It says, quote, Under this law, it is illegal to picket or parade in front of a courthouse or a judge's home with intent of interfering with obstructing or impeding the administration of justice with the intent of influencing any judge, unquote. Well, that is exactly what happened on May 7, 2022, in front of Justice Kavanaugh's home and Chief Justice Roberts's home. So we're going to roll some tape now on the radio. I'll describe it to you. There's dozens of protesters, some with bullhorns, all right, and they are out in front of the House because of the abortion ruling. 
All right. And there's even sound on tape of this. Go. We will not go back. I see you, buddy. We will not go back. 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 So the people who did that violated the law. But none of them were prosecuted. None of them. Why? So <laughs> when, you, when you get to that point, and to put it into perspective, dozens, I mean almost 40 pro-life protesters have been prosecuted by the Justice Department since Biden's been in office. And they did the same thing. Those protesters were in front of abortion clinics and they were protesting and there's a law and they were they were prosecuted. But nobody prosecuted the Supreme Court thing. So the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, is in charge of that. And yesterday he testifies in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Go. As the Department of Justice enforced this statute, have you brought a single case against any of these protesters threatening the judgment? Justices under 18 U.S.C. Section 1507. Have you brought even one? Senator, you asked me whether I sat on my hands, and quite the opposite. I sent okay, 70 United States Marshals. Let me try again. To and let have me you, has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? It's a yes-no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives. So of the, the answer is no. Is to defend the lives of the justices. And that's their number one priority. They have. Why are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute? Yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't. And what we have done is defended to the lies of the justices. Okay, so Garland admits that he's not enforcing the law. Why isn't he enforcing the law? It's not hard to enforce the law when you have tape. You just saw the tape, and on the radio you heard the tape. Because the Biden administration doesn't want that. Because those protesters were demonstrating their anger over the abortion situation going back to the states. And the Biden administration didn't like that ruling. So they don't want anybody prosecuted. That's what happens in Venezuela or in Russia, in totalitarian regimes. That's what happens. So my confidence as an American citizen, not just a journalist analyst, gone. Remember, Merrick Garland was almost a Supreme Court justice himself, but he was voted down. And I'm sitting there going, this man Garland, he knows what the law is simply will not enforce the law. Okay, um, let's go to the Mark Houck case. I have to confess that I was not familiar with this case until this week, and I should have been. He is 48 years old. He is an anti-abortion activist who was accused of assaulting a 72-year-old clinic volunteer, an abortion volunteer, named Bruce Love, outside a Planned Parenthood clinic in Philadelphia. He was arrested. He was charged. 
The incident took place on October 13, 2021. He was charged with two counts of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. Okay? Now, when he was arrested, his wife told news agencies that 25 federal agents with guns drawn in about 15 vehicles pounded on their front door and threatened to break it down. Okay? So it was a massive raid even though Halk and his attorney said they would have turned themselves in. I mean, um, Mark Halk would have turned himself in, didn't need the raid. There are pictures of the raid. So this is the FBI. And Christopher uh, Ray uh, was in charge of this raid. His boss is Merrick Garland, the attorney general. Ray doesn't just do stuff on his own. He's got to go up the chain of command because the FBI works for the Department of Justice. Okay? All right. So the kicker is, and this is incredible, that Mark Houck was found not guilty by a jury. He was acquitted of any law breaking. Yet his family was terrorized. He was prosecuted. And that was another subject of inquisition yesterday for Merrick Garland. Senator Josh Hawley is the questioner. Go. Let's talk about the Mark Hout case, for example. You've been asked about this already today, and frankly, your answers really astound me. This is a case where a Catholic pro-life demonstrator, father, was accused of disorderly conduct in front of an abortion center. The local prosecutor, the Philadelphia district attorney, who is a Democrat, a liberal, very progressive, declined to prosecute. There was a private suit that got dismissed. And then after all of that, your Justice Department sent between 20 and 30 armed agents in the early morning hours to the Houck's private residence to arrest this guy after he had offered to turn himself in voluntarily. Here's the photo. Once again, you can see the long guns. You can see the ballistic shields. You can see that they're wearing bulletproof vests. Why did the Justice Department do this? Why did you send 20 to 30 SWAT-style agents and a SWAT-style team to this guy's house when everybody else had declined to prosecute and he'd offered to turn himself in? Determinations of how to make arrests under arrest warrants are made based uh, by the tactical operators um, in the uh, district. They are not but you surely looked into it by this point, right? You, you know the answer, surely. They, all I know is what uh, the FBI has said, which is that they made the decisions on the ground as to what was safest and easiest. So you do not agree with your description of what happened on the scene. You don't agree with my description. I'm pointing out what the photo is. Okay, so is there anybody that you can think of in recent memory who's come across more weaselly, weasel is a word, than Merrick Garland? Anyone, any public servant. I mean, Buttigieg comes to mind, but that's the Attorney General of the United States? He clearly knows what happened in the Supreme Court justice situation, and he knows what happened in the Howe case. 
So what do you do? There is nothing that we can do. Nothing. As honest American citizens, we have to endure this because Joe Biden was elected president. An honest president would fire Christopher Wray like that. And remember, Trump appointed him. Okay, and Garland would have never been appointed to the position of attorney general. He's weak. He's corrupt. He's not looking out for uh, justice, equal justice for all. No. So when you when it gets to that point, I'm somebody who loves my country. And I just go, you know. I know we have to endure two more years of Joe Biden, who is absolutely the second worst president in the history of this republic next to James Buchanan. I know there's nothing we can do but to endure that. But if this man is reelected, and I don't think he's going to run, but I could be wrong about that. But if he's given four more years, you can kiss this country goodbye because he'll bankrupt it, number one, with all the irresponsible spending, and all of these departments, Buttigieg, Transportation, Garland, Justice, they're so corrupt, it's just, you, you just, and you see it. This is a society where we have hearings in the Senate, okay? You can see it and hear it. But here's the most depressing part of it all. 40 percent, 45 percent of Americans don't care if their country's corrupt. Sorting through your expenses, estimated payments and all those tax deductions can be overwhelming, might even lead to a failure to file and failure to pay penalties that pile up on your tax debt. The attorneys at Tax Network USA have been lifesavers for many Americans. Their team has successfully saved clients more than $1 billion in tax debt, a billion. Whether you're in the hole for $10,000 or $10 million, they are ready to help. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA are equipped to secure the best settlement for you and help you resolve all tax cases. So please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. These debt relief programs are expected to change, so get started now. Please go to taxnetworkusa.com slash bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been delivering on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of America's greatest heroes. Heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our communities. Heroes like Bristol, Connecticut Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. After responding to a domestic violence incident, he sustained fatal gunshot wounds. He left behind his expectant wife and two children. Thanks to the generosity of people like you, Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the DeMonte family home, lifting a financial burden. As his loved ones mourned the decorated officer's loss, they welcomed a miracle, the child he would never get to meet. So many families need your help. Please help America's heroes and their young families. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 95 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to their programs. 
Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. And that's a memo. Joining us now from Washington, D.C. is the director of the Democracy Institute, which is a think tank. Um, And he keeps a close eye on the political uh, situation in America. Patrick Basham uh, joins us now. So this Fox poll, does it mean anything to you? Along the lines that meant something to you, Bill, that is, it's not a particularly reliable poll. But what it shows you, and it shows Trump out in front so far of his potential Republican uh, opponents, contenders for the nomination, it shows you what good shape Trump may well be in, because Fox historically consistently underpolls Trump. Uh, he does better, as he does in many polls, and especially in the Fox poll, he does better in primaries or caucuses, he does better in general elections than the Fox poll always and ever suggests. So it's another piece of the puzzle the Trump campaign would like to see being put together to show that they have a really strong, viable path to the Republican nomination and ultimately, obviously, back to the White House. Now, if you would just watch the media, say you were born in Croatia and just came over here, you would think that Donald Trump is finished through, doesn't have a chance, everybody hates him, uh, he's going to be indicted 85 times. If you were just watching the media, that's what your impression mm-hmm. would be. Where is his strength? How does he poll this well? Who is standing by their man? Well, roughly one in two Republican voters are standing by their man. uh, And that is composed disproportionately, overwhelmingly of rabidly pro-Trump MAGA voters. And if you want to drill down further, then you're looking at not exclusively, but disproportionately working class voters. Uh, And of those, interestingly and importantly, perhaps crucially for a general election, you're talking about increasing numbers and percentages of Hispanic working class voters and of African-American working class voters, especially male, younger male African-Americans and both male and female working class Hispanics. So it's a it's it's there's a ceiling, obviously, on Trump's support, as there is on any candidates. But his floor, the basement on his support is really quite high. And it's really enthusiastic and very, very rabid in some cases, fanatical, in fact. That means that it doesn't guarantee he wins the nomination or a general election, but it means that he is definitely a very, very, very strong contender for the nomination. Yeah, he has a base that's going to stay with him. And I know is my next question. Have you seen any erosion in that base since he lost the election of 20? Then it was January 6th. Then it was a very, very weak midterm for the Republicans. Has there been any defection from the Trump base, say, over to a guy like DeSantis, who is a conservative? He doesn't differ from Trump in worldview too much. Not in the base, no. Uh, they, They remember increasingly, from their point of view, how better things were under Trump than under Biden. And also they consider him to have been, um, shall we say, uh, uh, massaged out of the presidency by the system. They think the system, broadly defined, has continued to go for Trump. And so that they're actually more loyal, they, more loyal, even more loyal than they were in 2020 or in 2016. Now, you do have conservatives announcing for DeSantis and, and other candidates, but especially DeSantis. I would say that they are, some of them voted for Trump, supported Trump, but I wouldn't say they were ever part of his base. Uh, they are, they tend more to the establishment 
uh, Republican, not necessarily the rhino Republicans. And so there was sort of flexible Republicans, soft Republicans, soft Trump voters, I would say. And so right now they think DeSantis is, is on the rise and Trump's on the decline. I think they're wrong on the Trump part of that, but that's their calculus. And so therefore they think DeSantis is the coming man. All right. The other part of this equation is the loss of Fox News. So Donald Trump is now no longer um, looked upon with favor by the management of that huge operation. Is that going to hurt Trump? It won't hurt him in terms of what the Wall Street Journal editorials say or probably possibly even the New York Post coverage, all part of the, the, the Fox Murdoch empire. But Fox News coverage is important. It's important in pushing back against usually pushing back against what most of the mainstream media is pushing, which obviously is rapidly anti-Trump. Uh, and so it's, it's unhelpful. I don't think it stops him, prevents him from getting the nomination or necessarily winning a general election. It just makes it a little bit harder. Maybe the best, better way to put it would, it would be a little bit easier if Fox News hasn't, hadn't decided to try to stand in his way. Okay, because uh, FNC is going to endorse DeSantis. That's where they're going. You can see it. And that's what will happen. Um, so I don't know how much that means, which is why I'm doing this poll, you know, because I want to see, um, what people, I would say that everyone listening to me and uh, watching me right now is familiar with the Fox news operation. And I don't know, uh, if it is as powerful as it was before this whole election thing and before they did change their point of view, their political point of view which every organization has a right to, okay? Um, every news organization can, on the editorial side, you know, endorse or whatever they want to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'd like to have a little more clarity in all of them, not just Fox. Final question for you. Um, when the debates will be this summer, okay? And the Republicans already made an enormous mistake yesterday when uh, Rona McDaniel, the head of the RNC, came out and said, well, you can't participate in our debates unless you sign a pledge to support whoever the ultimate nominee is. That's insane. I mean, the ultimate nominee could change and things could happen and you're basically holding people hostage there. So the debates start in the summer. I don't know if they're going to be as crucial as they were in 16 when they put Trump over the top, because there's no surprise element. Everybody knows what they're going to get when Trump walks in. How do you see it? Yeah, if Trump takes part in debates, I mean, he's not a technically great debater, but he's an incredibly effective debater, as we saw in 16. And I would argue in 20 as well uh, against Biden. So the, his potential opponents and actual opponents on the Republican side, they don't want to be part of that. Now, they want the exposure and they hope for that magic moment when they quote unquote take down Trump, that's very unlikely to happen. It's be damage control for them. He'll probably steamroll over them. So I actually think that the the the, the non-Trump, the other tr candidates for the Republicans, they want to minimize the number of times they're exposed by Trump in that format. Uh, so it could be a sort of counterintuitive way in which this plays out, on at least on the Republican side. Yeah, uh, and Trump will never sign a uh, no, you know that he'll endorse the. Because he'll never do that. That he wants to leave his third party, which would be a disaster for the country if he runs on a third party ticket, because that would put the the Democrats back into power. All right, Patrick, thanks very much. We really appreciate your expertise and, and thanks for helping us out tonight. 
I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth. Many, many people ask me, what are you, O'Reilly, most concerned about? Putin, China, the economy? What is most concerning to you? And I always give them the same answer. It's a simple answer. None of the above, no Putin, no China. I am concerned about, above all, President Biden. And that is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. So once again yesterday, Mr. Biden goes out on a campaign stop, which is what these speeches are all about. And he says this, go. Folks. And by the way, you know, you hear ads of the big spending Joe Biden. In two years, I reduced the debt $1.7 billion. $1.7 billion. The largest deficit reduction in American history. Okay. So he didn't reduce the debt $1.7 billion. He meant to say trillion dollars, but he doesn't know what he's saying. And then the people in the audience are like seals. I mean, if you listen to the words, I reduce the debt $1.7 billion. That's nothing. He gives that to Ukraine every Thursday. So it doesn't make any sense, but as people listening to him, they're zombies. All right. So he says... He meant trillion, all right? He reduced the debt, 1.7 trillion. That's what he says. That's not even close to being true. It's not even in the universe of truth. Here is the truth. So since he's been in office, President Biden has increased the national debt by $4 trillion, from 28 to 32 trillion, okay? That's since he's been in office. Two years Four trillion, that averages two trillion a year up. Far more than any other president in history. Okay. Now, then he gets into the deficit. So the national debt is the accumulation of all government spending that we have not paid for. Back eons. Okay. The deficit is year to year. So Biden says, well, I've cut the deficit. That's true. Because the COVID spending, the checks to you, small business, whatever, stopped. So during COVID, the deficit spending was here. When the checks stopped, it automatically came down. Biden had nothing to do with it. That was a congressional mandate. 
So Joe Biden gets up there, and this is all he had to do all day. He didn't do anything else. Give one speech about the economy, and he couldn't do it. He confused billion with trillion, and he confused the deficit with the debt. That's why I'm worried. Okay? Now, let's carry it a step further. He is thinking about running for president again. Now, you may think that Joe Biden has done a good job. And that's your right to think that. 42% of Americans think he's okay. (laughs) To me, it's astounding, but they're probably like the people in the Virginia speech where they just clap and they don't listen and they don't know the difference between a billion and a trillion. And I don't want to be supercilious, word of the day here, arrogant, but come on. Um, So he wants to run again, and he has no idea what he is saying. So he can't campaign because he's not going to be able to go out there day after day and give speeches when he can't even give one speech. All right? He's not going to be able to do that. So he'll do the same thing he did last time is he'll stay in the house. And that's not what we need here. We have vexing problems that need to be solved. Vexing problems, the border inflation, on and on and on and on, overseas. You all know them. Okay, so the president of the United States, step back. We've had a few buttes, okay? Millard Fillmore, Pierce, James Buchanan. I mean, we've had some bad ones. Herbert Hoover, um, Warren Harding. But they all at least were cognizant because I have letters from all of them, letters that they wrote. Not to me, I wasn't alive, but they wrote letters. Biden's not that. He can't. He can't. Not won't. And I know a lot of you think he's a liar and he's lying and he's this and he's that. And that. He cannot absorb information. He can't. He's at that stage in his life where he cannot do it. So who emerges as the big villain here in Biden world? It's got to be his wife. And she looks like a nice woman, teacher, all of that. But she's got to know what state, what mental state he's in. And there she is running around. She doesn't want to give up the first ladyship. Want to live up all those perks. Okay? She didn't push him out the door. Whereas somebody else might say, is this good for the country? Yeah. Now, rationalizations all day long, you know what that is. Okay, everybody does it. But Jill Biden is emerging as a villainous here, in my humble opinion. And that's the memo. All right, so uh, the president uh, nominated Julie Sue to serve as the new Secretary of Labor. The former mayor of Boston, Marty Meehan, quit. There's Ms. Sue. She's a very qualified woman. There's no doubt she has the qualifications. 54 years old, Harvard Law degree, ran a labor department in California, uh, born to Chinese immigrants in Wisconsin. Um, She is qualified. But here's the uh, kicker on all of these uh, department heads. And Buttigieg is the best example. Mayorkas is another really good one. They don't do anything. If you're the Department of Labor secretary, you don't do anything. You don't come in and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm No. 
You do what you are told to do from the White House. So Susan Rice will call up um, Miss Sue and say, this is what we'd like to do. And Julie Sue will do it. Buddha judge, I mean, anyone, anyone of you watching and listening to me tonight, if you were Secretary of Transportation, would have gone to Ohio. You would have gone. That's your job. Just to protect your butt, CYA, you would have gone. He didn't go. Why? Because he wasn't ordered to go. They didn't tell him to go. Same thing with Mayorkas. Any Homeland Security chief would say and order a different strategy on the border. Mayorkas won't do it because the White House doesn't want it. So these jobs are basically order taker jobs. They're prestigious in the sense that you have a job at that level, then you can go into a university and get a cushy job and give speeches. All right. So Biden yesterday, in addition to telling everybody that he cut the debt, $1.7 billion, $1.2, whatever it was. I mean, I have to laugh because it was so absurd. And he didn't even hear it. See, when I make a mistake, I do this all ad lib. I'm not reading a prompter here. I'm just talking to you like I talk to anybody. All right. And when I make a mistake, though, I hear it in my head and then I correct it most of the time. Once in a while, you just go and that's called a I misspoke. But most of the time I hear it. He doesn't. Um, So here's what he said about taxes. The idea that a billionaire, we used to have 600 or so in the United States of America, now there's 1,000. The idea that they pay at a rate that is lower than the rate of a police officer, a school teacher, a nurse, is bizarre. But it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Okay? So if Biden really cared about straightening out the tax code, he would propose specific things to Congress and they change it. I'm no billionaire fan. What most of them do is set up corporations and then the money goes through the corporation so they can, you know, uh, devalue things and they can buy private jets and they can do all of this through the corporations. And it's very, very complicated. They pay accountants hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, these guys and gals, okay, to take advantage of the tax code. Change it. Change it. All right? Just the pass-through stuff alone, I can't explain it to you now, but the pass-through advantages to corporations in the tax code means these billionaires, they can live off the corporation without having it count as personal income. Warren Buffett does that, okay? And so Biden doesn't care about any of this. He wants class envy set up the haves and the have-nots. There are more have-nots than haves, and we'll get all the have-not votes. That's what it's all about. It's not about actually fixing the tax code, which should be fixed. Mayor Pete, so he's being audited for using too many private jets. That's not fair. What I just said is not fair. He is being audited, and it's because he used 18 private jets to fly around. Okay? 
So they're trying to figure out whether Mayor Pete needed those jets or not. He may be innocent. And my initial headline basically convicted him. But I wanted to see how most of the media behaves. I don't. So Buttigieg, he's a big global warming guy. And of course, the private planes are big polluters. But he says, quote, I mostly fly on commercial flights in economy class. And when I do use our agency's aircraft, it's usually a situation where doing so saves taxpayer money, unquote. Well, we'll find out. But Mayor Pete, 18 uh, flights up in the air. So I'd love to meet Mayor Pete at the airport taking a commercial flight. I would. <laughs> I'd have a few words for him. CNN. Smallest monthly audience in February this month, because it ends today, in a decade. All right. The shows that are collapsing are The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, The Lead with Jake Tapper, no surprise. Okay. And the CNN This Morning program with Don Lemon. Those programs have collapsed. That means... They used to have a few viewers, and now they hardly have anybody. I don't watch any of them, so I can't tell you. I know I've told you about Tapper. Horrible guy. Bad broadcaster. No uh, accident. He's doing poorly. Now, you may know they've hired Bill Maher, and I think they put him on Friday night for a half an hour or something. He did okay. His last show was February 17th. He got 780,000 viewers. For CNN, that's pretty big. So I expect to see more of him on CNN, and I think they're going to hire Charles Barkley. I think Barkley's going to come over there. Because they're not going to, it's impossible for CNN now to compete with the talent they have. Okay, because they're not going to get any better. So they got to bring in outside people. Okay, let's go to something a little lighter, but uh, something that everybody can identify with. So there is a a journal called Evolution and Human Behavior. I'm sorry, I don't have a subscription, but I like human behavior. I mean, I'm a human, so I like to know what's going on in this journal. It says, and this is a uh, survey of 93,000 human beings from 93 countries, all right, all over the world. I've been to 86 countries, so there's more countries than even I've been to. It says that women average nearly four hours a day enhancing their appearance, grooming, and men 3.6 hours per day. Now, I find that very hard to believe that men, the average male, is spending three and a half hours a day grooming. But it's important that you look good. And in America, it can mean a lot more money. And I'm not going to say happiness because if people are going to evaluate you on just your looks, that's pretty shallow. But in the marketplace, the better you look, the more jobs you will be offered. And that's just a fact. Okay? So I uh, impose a discipline on myself, a personal discipline. Shave every day. I'm not the stubble kind of guy. I don't I don't object to the stubble kind of guys. Um, some women find the stubble attractive, but I'm more of a marine kind of guy. I like to, you know, and plus, 
my, my beard now, if I had a stubble, would be gray. <laughs> it wouldn't do me any good. And so I disciplined myself. We're going to shower every day. All right, and a good shower, not, not just a quick, you know, good. All the nooks and crannies. And we're going to use a expensive soap. Soap is a good soap. Spend some money on the soap. And we're going to shampoo pretty much every day, not quite every day. I used to have a real thick mane of hair, if you have ever seen me in my younger days. But, you know, I'm blaming my ancestors, my grandfather on my mother's side, you know. But now I still got a little bit. Keep it clean. Keep it cut. Okay? Complexion, very important. So moisturizer, I'm slapping that on there. I'm doing it because I have to be in front of the camera every day. I got a little bit of makeup on, but come on. I mean, you've seen people go downhill physically. I don't want to do that. All right, in the coffin, I want to look pretty good. If I can. Grooming is a key to that. Now, the urchins, they don't, my daughter, big groomer. I mean, no, no, no problem with her. Not spending four hours, but she wants to look good. And my son, and he's a handsome guy, but, you know, sometimes I got to go, hey, you need to clean up now. Um, because in the first impression, when you meet people, they see you. And if you are attractive, clean, that matters. And you know it yourself. If you see some guy, not so many women, but some, and that just really, you know, you want to be away from them. Okay? You're not hugging them. So it's important, but four hours is too much. Um, I had uh, some person ask me if I ever got a mani-pedi. You know what that is? A manicure, pedicure. Not in a million years would I do that. I'll handle the mani and the pedi. I don't need to pay somebody 40 bucks to do that. I know you get a little foot rub. Okay, fine. But no. No. Not getting that. Not doing that. Not doing any of that Botox stuff. And probably I should, right? Right here? <laughs> but I'm not doing it. So I'm going out the way I came in, in a natural state. But I do believe in grooming. I do believe that, you know, you should spend some time and teach your children or grandchildren. It is important. It's shallow, I know. But this is a competitive society. You need every advantage. Okay, final thought of the day. So I'm going to Ireland in June. I'm going to Donegal. It's the only county I haven't been to in the entire country. I'm taking, uh, actually, it's a father-son trip. All right, so a whole bunch of people, uh, my friends coming with me with their urchins, older. And I'm taking them to Belfast uh, after Donegal, where I covered the Trebles. Okay, I'm going to take them exactly to the places I was. So it's going to be really an interesting historical trip. Donegal is beautiful. Can't wait to go. I booked that trip a year ago. If I had booked it now, I couldn't get in to any of the good hotels. All the flights, most of the flights, I should say, are booked. I couldn't go. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. Wherever you want to go this summer, you got to book it before March 15th. 
you have to book it. Now, you could go to Arlen's stay in bed and breakfast, and that's great, by the way. It's a great experience. To meet the folks, it's very economical. You'll love it. The bed and breakfasts aren't all booked, but the hotels mostly are. And in America, if you want to go somewhere, you got to get those reservations. And always remember, you got to know the cancellation policy. And if you're going abroad, you should buy trip insurance, particularly on a cruise, right? But you got to get it done because this summer is going to be a wild travel summer. Even though of inflation, the economy's wobbly, people want to cut loose. They want to go. I was in Florida last weekend. I saw it. I told you about it. Okay, people buying $20 drinks, spending $1,500 a night on a hotel room. And I'm sitting there going, whoa. And it's going to be very intense this summer. So I hope a, a good travel agent, and they're hard to get. Boy, they're hard to get. My staff uh, is really good. And so I farm some of that out to them. Um, but you want to get everything under control by the Ides of March, the 15th, particularly if you are going abroad, okay? Or places like uh, the national parks. National park hotels around the Tetons and Yellowstone and Glacier and Yosemite, fabulous places, by the way, all of them, fabulous. Those hotels, they book, all right? So get in there, because I want you to have a good time. We all need a break. We all need to get away this summer for a little while. And that is the final thought of the day.